Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Lovely to begin chanting together. And over the week, I will go into that chant a little bit and and unpack it as it relates to what we're doing. And I know that for some of you, it's new. And for some of you, it's not new. And for some of you, this translation is new. And people like to get into really heated debates uh, about the translation. and we will. <laughs> What's that? Tadyata. Never heard that before. We will have to debate that. <laughs> so this is uh, five days we're going to spend together following this schedule for the most part. In the morning we're going to practice yoga asana, which are the postures that are designed to wake up the body, wake up the heart, and free us from fixed viewpoints. Um, Then we'll have a break. Then we'll do the sitting and walking meditation with the very simple form that you're learning. And the form is designed to hold you in the process. I'm sure all of us have had the experience, maybe when you were young, you just want to meditate, so you light a candle in your room and you stare at the candle and then about a minute later you're up eating pizza. (laughs) Um, or, Or spaced out thinking that your fantasies are really cool and important and special and that's why you're different from your friends. Um, So the form is what allows us um, to to sort of be held in the process of dropping underneath uh, the way we want things to be. And the Sandokai, this text or this poem we're going to look into, I think really uh, does that also. And then we have lunch, and then in the afternoon we're going to explore this really beautiful Chinese text um, called the Sandokai. Uh, But before we do that, there's a handout here. And I just wanted to look at the cover of the handout because there is a little uh, quote here by Dogen that is really, um, for me, uh, a bit of a guide these days. And I thought we could all use this 
to uh, inform the way we approach what we're doing here uh, for the next five days. Um, so it goes something like this. Make each moment the top of your head. Uh, in another translation, it's let each moment land on the top of your head. Uh, in Sanskrit, the word we use for that is kshana, which literally means this is a kshana. This is the top of your head. So let each moment be the top of your head. Uh, some of us, we're just spaced out. And uh, after a while, we realize some moments have gone by. But it's more interesting to be in our own fantasy of what these moments are, rather than actually what's happening within them. So make each moment the top of your head. In other words, wake up. Wake up. But I would say, actually, before you even make something the top of your head, the first thing you need to be able to do is know that you have a head. <laughs> and that's what we're doing in the morning. And then also knowing sometimes that it's really hard for us sometimes to stop. You know, maybe you've come here after a really busy week or traveling to get here, and maybe you really haven't stopped yet. And, and arrived in this room, uh, in your body. And um, this characterizes, I think, our, our, our society. You know? And in a way, you could say one thing that's very subversive about meditation practice is that it teaches us how to stop. And stopping um, allows us to sort of uh, reorient our values. And um, this is what Dogen's saying here. He's not just saying, you know, stop and let this moment land on the top of your head. Um, he's saying, uh, your head is this moment. And if you stop, um, you can experience this moment like you experience your head. Um, don't regard this as the beginning. Because then the next thing we do, Dogen always catches where your mind goes with a term. So... Don't regard this as the beginning. It's like, oh, well, now I'm going to begin. <laughs> so don't regard this as the beginning. Like, oh, now I am going to become a member of Center of Gravity Sangha, and I'll you know, get to know Karina and Kathleen and Mike, and we'll all really be close, and my loneliness will ease forever. <laughs> um, don't regard this as the beginning. Or it could be the other way around. I detest community. <laughs> And I don't want to have anything to do with practicing with other people. I go my own way. And all this form is really not my thing. Um, I don't need it. Um, I'm clear. You know? So uh, let the moment be the top of your head. Don't regard this as the beginning. Don't regard it as going beyond. So there's the next thing we do with these teachings that we, we put into the category of spiritual. Oh, it's about going beyond this moment, or transcendence. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean, like, philosophically or theology to get in the conversations you have, theologically, to get in the conversations you have maybe at your dinner table with your family about when there, whether there's God or not. Or, you know, when you smoke a joint with some friends and someone <laughs> says, this is, like, divine. <laughs> and then, you, you know, something goes, well, what do you mean by that? You know? um, when we talk about how this practice is not about transcendence, it's not 
cosmologically or existentially trying to transcend something. It's more as the top of your head. Just like you don't try and transcend the top of your head, although many of us when we were younger probably tried different things to do that. Um, it means not transcending this moment of experience. So here you are digesting. Melina, how much did you sleep last night? Four hours. Yeah. So there might be tiredness present, you know, and not to transcend the tiredness. There's tiredness present and being mindful of tiredness. In other words, when we talk about not going beyond, it doesn't mean not going beyond and then you can come up with some idea, oh, there's no such thing as a rebirth or get it. It's not really that kind of not going beyond. It's not, not going beyond this. Not going beyond this. All the ways we're trying to transcend boredom, transcend feelings of loneliness. Or maybe some of us who are more melancholic in disposition, trying to transcend when we're happy. Oh, I've been joyful for three days, something must be. <laughs> I better take out my Leonard Cohen CD. <laughs> I'm not used to this, you know. Um, um, even if you see it as the beginning, kick it away. Even if you see it as going beyond, stomp on it. In other words, you are going to see it sometimes as the beginning, kick that away. And you are going to see it sometimes as going beyond, kick, stomp on that. Then you're not bound by beginning or going beyond. So when you're here, um, this is not the beginning of something. And we're not trying to get beyond something. And when I came across this by Dogen, this is really helpful for me right now, with a lot of changes happening here in this space and in our community. And, um, not trying to, to give in or give up. One of the things I'm really poor at is negotiating and um, uh, details. So to move into this space, there's so much negotiating and so many details. Um, so I find a lot, I, I sort of go into these extremes. On the one hand, I just want to go, okay, fine, we're out. <laughs> or on the other side, okay, have it all. <laughs> You know, and this this is this is going beyond, right? It's not sometimes being willing to say, okay, you know, we're going to have to like sit in this for three days, and I'm not going to call you back till Monday, so I can take some time and know what it is that might come up. So, um, I think we all can relate to this mm -hmm. in, in our own way a little bit. Yeah, great. Interesting. 
But seeing that it's coming up, yeah. can not be with that as it would be with tiredness? Sure. I mean, he's taken his time getting there. First he says, you know, don't regard it as going beyond. He doesn't say right away, take it away. First he says, you know, don't regard it. And it's almost like these are meditation things. Don't regard it, don't regard it, don't. And if it's still not working, don't do it. <laughs> it's like you have to do this with your neuroses sometimes. It's like we hear all these like, nice compassion things. Oh, you know, make friends with it, you know, whatever. And then there are times where you have to turn around and go, stop, you know. I have to do this with my son all the time. Um, you know, please do this, please do that. And sometimes, enough, <laughs> you know. There's actually a book title someone just sent me about, I think it's about uh, Buddhism and consumerism, and the title of it is Enough. <laughs> so. I think that's what Dogen's trying to do. First he's a little more gentle, and then, no, a literal level. Yeah. This also comes out of a much longer passage. Um, okay. So... Um, I'm going to talk for a little while about the Sandoka, and you can interrupt me at any time. And then I'm going to stop, and then we're going to work on it together a little bit. But I thought today I just wanted to give you a bit of an overview of this poem. Um, so first of all, this isn't the beginning. Second of all, don't go beyond. <laughs> and third, as I'm talking, we're not studying this poem like you do at university, where... You're studying it because you have to figure it out. Or you're studying it because you have to compare it with something in English literature. Or you're studying it because you're going to be graded. Just to take this in like you take in your breath. So maybe even as I'm speaking, try and inhale and exhale. So when the ideas come to you, then inhale and, and take them in in your body. And then if there's stuff that doesn't really connect with you, just when you exhale, it will go away. Yeah. Um, but it's not something that you, you need to like, figure out the answer for, if that makes sense. Um, in the back of this handout, uh, there is the Sandoka. And um, we're basically going to work on the title and the first sentence today. If we get through half of it by the end of the week, I'll be beyond. So, Sekito Kisen is his Japanese name, and his Chinese name is Chitu. And he was born in the 8th century in Guangdong province in southern China. Um, it was at this time that Mahayana Buddhism was starting to become Zen. So this is the time, for those of us who are around studying the Lotus Sutra, so this is about 300 years after the Lotus Sutra. So you have the Lotus Sutra, you have the real popularity at that time of the Avatamsaka Sutra, which is the Flower Garland Sutra, and also uh, a text written by the sixth ancestor, Hui Neng, called the Platform Sutra, which is not one I like very much. And actually, it's interesting reading Shinru Suzuki's book. He doesn't either. 
Um, because it's a, it, the Platform Sutra was a sutra that really uh, divided people and divided schools. This was better than that. Mm. And we're going to get into this in the second line of this poem. Uh, but preceding that, it's the time of the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Garland Sutra. And for those of you who haven't studied the Flower Garden, Garland Sutra, there's a couple basic ideas in that sutra that are really, really important. The first idea is that everything is interdependent. Everything is so interdependent that you can't pick up a speck of dust without taking the whole world with you. And what does that mean for a practitioner? It means when you eat, you're eating for the web. When you keep your home clean, you're keeping it clean for the whole neighborhood. When you're filtering water, you're filtering water for this whole body. When you take care of the main river in your city, you're taking care of all of life. So this idea that everything is interdependent. And because of that, if there is trouble in one part of the web, the whole web suffers. And this starts to change people's idea of what enlightenment is. Is enlightenment something I'm pursuing so that I can transcend the pain or the misery or the sorrow in my life? Or is that even possible? Because if all of us are interdependent, then if you're suffering, then I feel your suffering. And the deeper I practice, the more sensitive I become to other people's pain. I don't transcend it. And the more I practice, the more free I am. So there's this impossible dialectic between the more I feel free, the more I feel other people's pain. And it's not resolvable, which is, what's, uh, which is what gives you resolve to, to really uh, engage in your life. Um, the second piece of the Avatamsaka Sutra that's really important is that nothing obstructs anything else. That one thing is never in front of anything else. And usually that's how we think of our own selves. That my human nature covers my Buddha nature. Right? That my Buddha nature is somehow underneath my human nature. Or even that this wood floor covers a cement floor. But if things are interdependent, that kind of thinking is preposterous. Nothing covers anything else. And the Sandokai kind of picks up that thread and is going to take it much further. Does this make sense? Yeah, so this often in Mahayana Buddhism is called non-obstruction. Obstruction. It's not an idea you find so much in earlier Buddhism, in Theravada Buddhism. Um, this is also the time where the notion of Zen is being formed, and I'm, I'm highlighting this because there, you know, mm -hmm. some of you in here are interested in this. And what you think of as Zen now, 
is really formal sitting meditation um, and ritual. This is the beginning of that, just the beginning. So it's really early days, really way, way, you know, Dogen's not for a long, long time, many thousand, uh, over a thousand years later. So this is really early days. And um, um, it's also the development of a time of recognizing, as I hinted earlier, that practice is transmitted mind to mind, face to face, intimately. Not through teacher trainings, not through reading books, not through articles, oh, just through this. this. Now, uh, before that, there was sometimes an idea, especially if you read suttas, of like practice kind of spiritual practice as being reclusive. Like I go into the cave, I meditate until I can leave the body. And there's this kind of reworking via possibly Taoism in China, this idea that actually how the practice is transmitted and cultivated is through this. It's easy to miss. When I I first started practice, I was uh, just so depressed and anxious too. And I didn't want to have anything to do with anybody. And I I started going to a a Buddhist center in Detroit where I was living. And um, I would go and I would sit and I'd get out of there as fast as possible. Because I just thought, oh, the practice is just meditating. And if I meditate deep enough, then... But then I noticed that, you know, other people would have tea after, and they were all working together to make this place run. I didn't want anything to, to do with it. And maybe there's a time we need that. We all need that sometimes. Kind of solo, introverted practice. Um, yeah. That's not what was happening at this time. Um, and there were two schools, uh, the northern school and the southern school in China. Of course, right? <laughs> of course. There's a split. And there's two schools, the northern school. It's like Toronto, the east end, the west end. You heard about this? Uh, it happens even in the west end. In the west end, there's an east end and a west end. It's the bridge right over here. And so there are some people on the east side of the bridge who say, oh, I live in Parkdale. But someone on the west side, you don't really live in Parkdale. You just want to live in Parkdale. So you're on that side of the bridge. So same thing. Different horizon, north and south. So the northern school, the focus of that school was gradual enlightenment. That the way someone becomes free, the way someone wakes up, is very gradual practice. And the southern school was a school of Satori, Kensho, sudden enlightenment. Sudden enlightenment. You, you are practicing so you can have a break where you see your whole life differently. And Sekito, who's writing, is trying to harmonize these schools. So in the background of this poem, there's something political going on. Um, And Sekito's also trying to show that that's not true. And this is how we practice at Center of Gravity. We're practicing both gradual and sudden both wide and really deep. 
Um, there are some people, it seems, from my vantage point, especially on retreat, who have sudden experiences. They have an experience and it completely changes how they experience themselves and what they're doing with their life. And you can't deny that this is some people's proclivity. And once this happens, there's a strong tendency to stop practicing because the ego comes in and thinks it's special, right? And, and we've all had this. We've had experiences maybe, you know, on a canoe trip or on, you know, certain drugs where we have this kind of mystical experience and it affects us really deeply and maybe it changes your whole life and the direction of your life or how you think. Okay, and then the practice is gradual. Then you need to figure out how to put that to work. And this is the waste of so many teenagers' experience where they have a kind of mystical experience but they never have support in how to integrate it into their life. And then it's just like another thing for the ego or something kind of painful in their heart. That they've had this deep connection, they don't know really how to get back to it or what, or what to do with it. And then there's the people who are just practicing gradually. And some people it's so gradual that you have to work with them to try and get a little bit of the sudden thing to happen. And there's, there's techniques for that. Um, so gradual and sudden are these really two distinct ways. Well, in China at the time, it was possible they thought so. The northern school, the southern school. There is no sudden, gradual is kind of a waste of your life. Hurry up. <laughs> but it's interesting, actually, for those of you who uh, study here, that so many times we work on koans, right? And you'll notice that the koans we do always fall to one side or the other. Usually they're trying to focus on the sudden experience or they're trying to get you just to look differently at brown rice. Right? Like the famous koan, the student comes into the monastery, wants to practice, and the teacher says, have you washed your bowls? This is the gradual. Students so gung-ho on enlightenment. And the teacher says, did you wash your bowls? <laughs> um, in uh, sometime between 700 and 750, some people put the date 740, Sakito um, was spending a lot of time uh, sitting by the water on a huge flat stone and meditating. And that's how he got the name Sakito, which literally means stonehead. I don't know why I didn't get that name. Um, and I like to think that, you know, it's not just because he was at this stone, it was because he sat like a stone. In other words, his practice was heavy and it was continuous, uh, like rock like the earth. And if you know stone, like if you really know how to sit like a rock, you know how stone is fluid and it's moving. So 
This is what Sakito knew how to do. He could sit like a rock. He wasn't moved by the North School and the South School. He was the earth that they were standing on. And um, maybe we can also be like him this week, to be living and breathing stones. That's not really like one of those fancy Zen non sequiturs. Um, how, how do you breathe and live and also be a stone? Um, the word guru in Sanskrit that we often think of as you know teacher, um, actually in English, that word literally through Latin becomes the word gravity, which literally means it's heavy. It's somebody who's not moved by every passing negotiation. So we could say the Sandokai is a text that reintegrates dichotomies. Whenever there's dichotomous thinking, the Sandokai can catch it. And that's why you should memorize it, and that's why it's chanted. So that whenever your mind gets into north and south, does anybody do this? <laughs> this or that? <laughs> um, you can chant the Sandokai. In the same way that whenever you have fear in your life, you chant the Heart Sutra. So I, I don't take the kind of academic perspective, which is what I've been reading a lot, that there was a north and south school, and that's what this is referring to. There's no way with the subtlety of how Sakito teaches that this was just about the north and the south school. I think it's about how we make the north and the south in our own hearts, in our own minds. We split things up into this and that. And, and we need to do that sometimes. And also, it's so painful and so exhausting how the way we make enemies just to kind of keep our own identity connected, to keep us from being fragile, right? We, we have to keep someone out there. And we need to do this together, everyone in this room. I remember this summer I had this experience on retreat, just looking around the room at all the people who annoy me, <laughs> and um, having this realization that I went through each person who annoys me, and I noticed how exactly the thing that they annoy me with is just a little bit of an exaggeration of how I am, right? Like one person is super control freak about how the cushions are all lined up. And it's actually not so much of a stretch for me to get like that, <laughs> right? And then there's another person who's just always sleeping, always asleep. He sat in front of me. And I, so I would sit and I was at his back and he was just always, you know. And, um, and it's annoying because you're trying to sit still and this guy's all... And so I started thinking, you know, if he didn't wake up at 5 o'clock and start with coffee, maybe his system would be more balanced and you know, if he ate a little differently and exercised during the day. And then I learned some things about him on the retreat. He doesn't sleep well. Uh, he's stressed about money. He's going blind. 
And because he's going blind, he lost his job. And because he's going blind, he has a hard time with the meditation practice because his eye, everything's so out of focus that it's hard for him to get concentrated. And when he closes his eyes, his eyes are really irritated. So, and then your heart, your heart starts to... And then, because before I was the south, he was the north, <laughs> right? And then over time, it's like your heart warms up and it's hard to, hard to do that. So, um, I had this experience... One of the one of the things we had to do uh, on retreat is we had to have somebody blindfold us and lead us around. Mm. It's like the third day of retreat. It, it was just unannounced. It's like suddenly Roshi had this idea, you know. <laughs> so this guy from uh, Bolivia, he he blindfolded me, and. Uh, he decided he, he was going to really give me a hard time, you know. So he took me down into the basement, a really low basement, and like, and when I got into the basement, suddenly my I just had this feeling of the guy who was sitting in front of me, who was going blind, who was always checking his watch like this, you know. And then I had this feeling like he's going to be okay. My feeling wasn't about me. It was just immediately, like, he, he's going to be okay. If he goes blind and can't see, he'll be fine. Here I am in the basement, and I can't see anything, and, and it's okay. It's actually, if I lost my sight, it would be okay. But I didn't experience it as me so much as, as him. Because something happens when you're quiet for a few days. You stop thinking about yourself so much. So it was a really interesting insight for me because it, it was an insight about someone else. Which, you know, the first days of retreat, it's never like that. It's like, oh, I've had an insight. <laughs> <laughs> about me. <laughs> Glad those other people. And then you can even, it even gets deeper. Sometimes like, and nobody can tell. <laughs> It's like people have this a lot of time when they come home from silent retreat and they've had some really big shift or they've been away for a three-month retreat or they've been away for a year and they come home and nobody can tell any different. They just treat you exactly the same. You're like, hey, but I've had this insight. (laughs) (laughs) I've been on a three-month retreat. (laughs) And everyone just treats you exactly the same. You go into the coffee shop and they can't tell. So, So then you start wearing like beads (laughs) <laughs> and, <laughs> and rolls and things so that people will like maybe look at you a little bit like you, you shave your head you know so you're a little deeper um, and that's what the ego tries to, tries to do um, there's also a text that precedes the Sandokai called the Sandokai and it's a Taoist poem so Sakitu is on purpose uh, nodding to this Taoist text, this ancient Chinese text um, called the Sandokai. And um, I think it's important because there's a bow to Taoist tradition which has two features that are identical to the Buddhist tradition, which is everything is changing. Right? Everything is changing. And 
the, the, the non-separation of a person and the natural world. The two together. And I think you can kind of feel this in, in the Sandoka. Um, and the way I like to think about it is this is a lineage that traces itself back to the Buddha and back to rock and stone. Just like here, we have a Buddha sitting on top of stone from the Leslie spit. Karina actually found this, this, this rock. So the Buddha is sitting on rock. We're sitting on rock. We're on the earth. But we're also not separate. That Buddha is made from rock. Um, But don't tell people you're in the stone lineage. (laughs) Or I'll be in big trouble. (laughs) Um, So I chant this poem every day when I I study with my teacher. And also, the last thing I'll I'll say generally about this is the last lines of this poem is where we get the chant that we chant at the end of class. Life and death are of supreme importance comes from this poem. Okay, so the text is called Sandokai, um, which usually gets translated as the harmony of difference and equality. Taizen Mazumi Roshi, who translated this uh, last week when Bernie Glassman was here, said that he translated this with Bernie Glassman and Peter Matheson. translated this as the identity of relative and absolute. And this is a really nice translation. So there's the the absolute and the relative and the identity of them. If you you say the harmony of them, Mm. it makes them north and south. Mm. Can you feel that? So apparently in the Chinese characters, you can't do that. But in English, we don't have a linguistic way of uniting north and south. So we have to say the harmony of north and south, but it keeps you having a north and a south. Um, So I like this translation, the identity of relative and absolute. Um, The word san means difference. And interestingly enough, Shinra Suzuki, in one of the notes on his commentary, says the word sen also is the number three. Right? Because you have one, oneness, two, the relationship between one and the other, and three, difference, spread out. Different, the many. Right? Three is the many. Um, And the word do means sameness, the absolute. The oneness, the unity. And the word, uh, the term kai literally means shaking hands, which I like a lot. Um, so maybe we could translate this as the shaking hands of san and do. The shaking hands of difference and unity. Um, but not that difference and unity are shaking hands. This is really important to, to get this flavor. It's not that one and two are shaking hands, A and B are shaking hands. It's that A and B are shaking hands. 
what they are is shaking hands before your mind makes them shake hands. Just like we're the elements before we have the thought that we're the elements. So, um, the relative and the absolute are shaking hands. Um, Thomas Cleary uh, wrote, The Merging of Difference and Sameness. And then I found one other on the internet, I think it was Shasta Abbey, maybe, I'm not sure, that had the oneness of the one and many. The oneness of the one and many. It's a bit confusing, but, but, but it's good. The oneness of the one and many. Um, Roshi said that when they had their translation party, um, the most popular translation of this was one for all and all for one. <laughs> She's American. Um, in the West, to say do, oh, the word do also is dharma. Um, to say do, uh, to say absolute, means God. And in Buddhism, it's not so much the absolute is God, it's more the absolute is like saying um, nobody is born. Uh, nobody is really sitting here. You are not who you really are or think you are. And also, nobody dies. Nobody kills. Nobody steals. Nobody's in pain. Because that level of interdependence is so deep, at that deepest level, you don't exist in the way you think you exist. Until you decide that you do, but even that is in the web. That's the way on the absolute side, right? There's nobody there. Yeah. Shankaracharya, for those of you that have studied in the yoga tradition, used to always say this. There's nobody doing nothing. There's nobody doing nothing. And again, some of us, that's the side we really need to work on in our life. And for others, we really need to work on the other side, the difference. The difference. And the way I always like to think of difference is one of my favorite uh, poems. Uh, um, Crane's legs are long, duck legs are short. Crane legs are long, duck legs are short. Rose does not have the same leg length as Grant. Duck, crane. <laughs> if you try and be like Grant, then you will dampen the treasure that is Rose. And if you try and be like Rose, you will never smell like Rose. And if you try and be like Rose, you will dampen Grant. So, at some level, there is no Grant. A name, an identity, clinging. And you're not Rose. So, the, the oneness and the difference at the same time. 
difference, oneness, simultaneously. Um, Now the question is, how do you live this? Because we could now get really intellectual (laughs) and really philosophical and go, oh, and the dialectic between the two is so complex because there's a time in ethical standards where you need, okay? And how do you live? How do you live oneness difference at the same time? There is north and there is south. And we need both of them. And they're shaking hands. Before you decide what they are, they, they are, north is shaking hands with south. South is shaking hands with north. When Sakito was 10, um, he was present when the sixth ancestor of Huining died. Um, Maybe I might bring in the ancestor chart. I, I was, Karina told me I should I should bring it in. I showed it to, to Mike the other day. Um, th- this summer I had to write out the chart and memorize it. Um, so when we say like sixth ancestors, four ancestors, it's really cool to actually see see the chart from Shakyamuni Buddha, Buddha mm-hmm. all the way. Um, but anyways, his teacher basically was dying. And he went to his teacher, and I think this story really captures Sakita. Went to his, his um, teacher and said, now that you're dying, his teacher's on the deathbed, now that you're dying, who should I study with? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of students do this, I think, with their teacher, where they're saying, well, what about me? I, there's a lot of stories of this where the teacher's dying and the student's like, well, what about me? <laughs> It's not like the Allen Ginsberg uh, uh, story we heard about last week. Um, Bernie Glassman, when I was taking him to the airport, was telling me that when Allen Ginsberg went to the hospital um, and, and found out that he had only a month to live, um, he went straight home, called Bernie, and said, um, I've only been given a month to live. It turns out it was shorter. Mm-hmm. And... I want to know what I can do for you. How can I help you? I'm calling all my friends because I only have a month to live and I want to know how, to help, how I can help them. It's so, so, so beautiful. It's not what we do usually, is it? It's like, how can you help me? Okay, you do this, you do this, you get these four things together. Or maybe this is what a lot of dying people are doing and we're not open to it. Because we're in this whole realm like, we're the south, they're the north, we have to serve them. They're dying. Oh my God, and we're on fire, you know. They're, you know, they're dying, they're dying, I've got to get them all these Pima Chodron books and like make their place really nice. And, um, and maybe they just want to lie in bed and watch Oprah. So um, he goes to his teacher, and Sakito, the author, now that you're dying, who, who should I study with? Tell me, who should I study with? And his teacher said, go figure that out for yourself. <laughs> go figure that out for yourself. And this is a, a bit of the theme of Shitu, of, of Sakito. You've got to figure it out for yourself. You've got to figure it out for yourself. 
if you really want to stop making them into the north, there's something you've got to figure out for yourself. If you want to really do good work trying to help the world's population get off nuclear power, you've got to take care of your anger. Or you're not really going to get a whole lot done. Because you won't be able to communicate with anybody. Right? So, if you have a friend who is not your friend anymore, and now they're your nemesis, the only way you can really uh, heal with them is because you've got to figure something out in yourself. Oh, that person is an exaggeration of that same thing I, could, I do in my own life that I don't want to look at. I don't want to admit that I can do that. And because I see it in them, I want to get rid of them because I'm getting rid of that. And, and then the more we allow them in, we get bigger. And then we can swim even in that water that's really cold that we think is them or the North. How do you divide North? My son asks this all the time. He's really interested in, well, it's faded a little, but he was really interested in this question of like how they decide like where a border is, especially when it's water. Like half of Lake Ontario is Canada and half is the United States. But like how, where, like how exactly <laughs> did, they, did they do that? Go figure it out yourself, is what I should tell him. <laughs> and wouldn't I serve him well? How many of you have kids? Yeah. They're like, what happens? All the people from Wisconsin. Uh, when, you, what, what, when you, when you, we stopped having kids here in Canada. <laughs> so did we about yeah. 30 years ago. <laughs> Um, like with our kids how many times do they ask us really deep questions and we answer what happens when I die nothing <laughs> I have a good friend who has two kids and one day the little one came in crying we were all having dinner together and he came crying in and he's like I just asked my sister, I just asked my sister, you know, what happens when I die? And she said that I'm going to become a butterfly. I don't want to be a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> so upset. I don't want to be a butterfly. <laughs> so what if we said, go figure it out yourself? Not helping. Yeah. You're not helping. Sorry. Yeah. Um. One last thing about the text is um, it's chanted in temples all over the world. Nothing's chanted more than the Heart Sutra. Even more than O Canada. Um, and I think what's interesting about the chanting of the identity of Mirabsalute is it's really soft. 
And it's also supposedly one of the differences between the North and the South. The gradual school, which eventually we call the Soto school, it, it's soft. It's soft. The way to practice is through the heart. So in a way, you could say that the identity and of relative, it's kind of the theme song for Soto Zen. Mm. It, it, it's, a, it's a kind of softening of the heart as the, 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 the method of practice. Even though maybe that's a harder path. Maybe it's easier to be in like strict discipline path yeah. because you're just told what to do and it's expected. Well, it's a little harder to be on the soft, soft path. I get this all the time. You know, people read my books or they hear about me and then they come to like longer retreats and I always hear the first day, like in the interviews, it's like, it's so much softer than I thought it was going to be. It's like, what did you expect? You don't want to know. <laughs> okay. Um, any comments or questions before we do the first line? San and Do, San is phenomena, and, or sorry, uh, San is, um, what did I say? Uh, is uh, principle. Difference can also be translated as principle. And Do is phenomena. So it said that Do is like um, a gold lion, where if you have a solid gold lion, gold is the essence of the lion. If you split the lion apart, it's all gold. Um, just like the fact that there is no part of you that is not Buddha. If you split any part of you up, it's Buddha. Um, and principle is the form that the gold has taken as a lion. It's the form your life takes. So it's not enough to just say, everyone's a Buddha, even... When, they, when you break them up and they're angry, they're still a Buddha, but the, the, the course your life takes also counts. Maybe, I don't know much about uh, physics, but maybe this is a little bit like wave and particle. Probably a little like that. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> um, so, let's look at the first sentence. And um, we're going to work with this translation from Taizen Mizumi Roshi, um, which I like better than the one we find in the branching streams flow in the darkness. The mind of the great sage of India is intimately conveyed. That should be is. Intimately conveyed from west to east. So let's work through this backwards. The mind of the great sage of India is intimately conveyed from west to east. So, obviously, west to east is India to China, right? West to east. And maybe one day it will go back around that way also. Um, There are some really important points here. Uh, What's being conveyed, this is really key, is not Buddha. 
Usually when we think of a spiritual practice being conveyed from one place to the next, it's the form, right? It's like Mary, right? So what's not being conveyed is Buddha from west to east. It's the mind of the great sage. It's Buddha's mind is being conveyed from west to east. And the word Buddha comes from the root Bud, which means to awake, to awaken. So it's not static, it's not awakened, it's not awakened mind, but it's awakening mind. Awakening mind is being uh, conveyed from west to east. And there's a play here on the term sage. Because um, sometimes it's called bodhisattva. Because in Taoism, a sage is a recluse. It's somebody who goes out uh, away from the culture and does a kind of uh, solitary practice. Um, but the bodhisattva is somebody whose practice is service. Okay? So there's a lot in this first sentence. So listen closely. The awakening mind... Your awakening mind is conveyed because you are a bodhisattva, because you are serving. How is it conveyed? Intimately. See this word? Intimately conveyed from west to east. Can you give another word for conveyed? Um, Transmitted, shared, moved along. Flowing. Um, it's intimately conveyed. Um, but of course it's intimately conveyed. How else could it be conveyed? If we just sit and talk and we have a blackboard and I'm like telling Jose, okay, you've got to remember this and then I want you to go to Squamish. I want you to set up a center and I want you to start, you know, conveying how to light incense, and, you know, on and on and on. Maybe like, well, that's, I was going to say, maybe a few people would come. Maybe thousands of people would come <laughs> because it's the form. And, and yet, it would be missing the middle. Yeah? Because um, that's not really what the Dharma is. That's not what the teachings are. But what's conveyed can only be conveyed through intimacy, through, through closeness. Just like if there are parts of ourselves, um, let's say the part of me that's angry is the south, and my upright ego is the north, how do they relate? They can only he- there can only be a healing happening through intimacy. The part of me that's angry has to get to know the upright part, and the upright part has to absorb. I had an experience... Uh, in this room where somebody who's helping to organize this room who's older than me, a man he raised his voice at me and I haven't had an adult man raise their voice at me like I don't know (laughs) in a long, long, long time Um, I've had women raise their voice at me (laughs) but I haven't had an older man raise his, his voice at me and I said to him uh, the, the way you're talking to me is unacceptable. And then he kind of settled down and 
So then I came home and I said to Karina, you know, this man raised his voice at me. And Karina said, what did you say? And I said, it's unacceptable. <laughs> and she said, well, probably what you were doing was unacceptable to him. And I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. So he had his position. He didn't like something I did. And he got angry. He was expressing himself. And for me, I said, well, that's not acceptable. <laughs> so that, that's not shaking hands. Okay, now, certainly, there's a time to say, this is not acceptable. But what Karina might have been picking up on, it's not that I didn't want him to raise his voice at me. It's that I wasn't really accepting what he was feeling. And then after she said that, I realized, oh, yeah, we're all stressed out today because the floor is not ready and we're, it was just all kind of stressful. And then I was like, of, of course, of course it's acceptable. Oh, that's not acceptable. The joke of it, I probably learned that term from someone who said that to me who was older. <laughs> um, so, here's an example of how things are conveyed. Um, here's a koan about Shitu. A student once asked Shitu, Shitu, you understand who Shitu is? Did anybody lose that? Who's Shitu? Yeah, so Shitu is the, is the Chinese name for Sekito. Okay. A student once asked Shitu, what is Buddha? <laughs> Isn't that such a good question? What is Buddha? Shitu said, you don't have Buddha mind. Could you imagine that you ask someone, what's Buddha? And they said, you don't have it. <laughs> what is Buddha? You don't have Buddha mind. The student said, I'm human. I run around and I have ideas. <laughs> she too said, people who are active and have ideas, they also have Buddha mind. In other words, everyone else, they have Buddha mind. She too said, well, uh, why don't I have Buddha mind? Shitu said, because you're not willing to remain human. You're not willing to remain human. Why don't I have Buddha mind? You don't have Buddha mind. In other words, if you're asking that question, you don't have Buddha mind. Because what he's really saying is, I want to have Buddha mind. I want to be enlightened. I want to be a Buddha. Right? I want to transcend this. The teacher can pick it up. We all know this. You can pick up when someone's coming to practice because they want to get out of this. Yeah. I don't want to be human. I want to be a Buddha. Why don't I have Buddha mind? I paid for this retreat. I paid for this intensive. Why, why don't I have it yet? <laughs> you don't have it. <laughs> you don't have it. Why? I'm human. I run around and I have ideas. <laughs> so this is a really good definition of a human. What is a human? Run around, have ideas. <laughs> 
<laughs> why, why, why am I not a Buddha? Um, you, you're not. Why? I'm human. I run around and I have ideas. Well, people who are active and have ideas, they also have Buddha mind. Well, then why don't I have it? Because you're not willing to remain human. You hear the intimacy in the, in the teaching? You, you want to be something other than what you are. And the punchline of all the teachings, it doesn't matter what tradition, is that you are exactly what you seek. And you can't see it because it's you. You are the north. You are the south. And you have to apprentice yourself to the north. Apprentice yourself to the south. Apprentice yourself to your enemy. And he doesn't want it. He wants to be a Buddha. And then he says one last time, well, just give me the answer. Why am I not a Buddha? Because you're not willing to remain human. You're not willing to yoke yourself to your life. You want to get out, out of this. Remember we were talking earlier about transcendence? Dogen said, you know, like, don't be at the beginning. Don't go beyond. Well, what do you do? Here, right here. Are you willing, right now, to be in this room? Not, are you in this room? So it's not like Eckhart Tolle, you know, are you fully in this room? It's not saying that. It's, are you willing to be in this room? And if you're not in this room, that's the sum. That's the difference. You're not fully in the room. That's the difference between you and the Buddha. And you use that to yoke yourself to not being in the room. And then you're in the room. I'm in the room. I'm aware I'm not being in the room. You're in the room. Right? I can't be present. I can't be present. I'm so crazy. I can't be present. So you're aware. I can't be present. You're present. Right? I'm sitting on this meditation cushion. My knee is hurting. And oh my God, we're sitting so long. Who are they training to ring the bell? Are they really watching the <laughs> clock? You know? and, and then you're not human. You're trying to be something else. And then you become aware. Oh, I, I'm not here right now. I'm really impatient. And then you're a Buddha. Because you're not running around actively having ideas. You're just fully being. The, the other day, um, Theodore, who owns Snow Lion, he, do you know some, some of you know him? He, he came here to bless the space came and lit some incense. Uh, this was about 15 minutes before I got yelled at. Um, Theodore came in and um, I said, oh, Theodore, you know, like, I'm not really that neurotic of a person. That's what I said to him. But actually, like, 
around having a really sacred space, I just, I really want it to be really special for people. And so I find, like, I'm really neurotic. Like, I can't figure out if the Buddha should be six inches this way or if the Enso's too high or if this is all going to be cleaned right and the color. And, and, like, I'm really neurotic. And he said, Theodore's been practicing for 30 years. He said, uh, don't fool yourself. You're not really neurotic. Because you're not fully neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> If you're going to be neurotic, just be neurotic. <laughs> so here I'm apologizing, you know, saying, oh, I'm kind of neurotic. And he's like, you're not really neurotic. Like, be neurotic. Here you are, you're feeling neurotic, so just go fully 100% neurotic. And really, really go for it. Get, get, get into the neurosis. It's what tethers you to the human, right? To the the human realm. So I want to work on this a little deeper. So uh, what I'd like to do is, um, what time is it? I'd like to take about a 10 minute break and we can just get up and stretch, have a cigarette or whatever. And then, I want to work together in in groups uh, on some of the questions that have come up so far in this text. We've done the title, we've done this first line, and and a koan in relationship to it. We're going to kind of work on it together. Okay? So let's take a ten-minute break, and then we'll reconvene just like that. 